Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Friday. 
any others. Oh, what, what's the one with the leprechaun? You know, the Irish one. The day everybody goes green. Oh, St. Patrick's Day. Yes, St. Patrick's Day. That seems to be okay. So, and folks say they're proud to be Irish. Well, just as they're proud to be Irish, I am proud to be an African-American. And I'm proud to be an African-American in the United States of America, the country that my people built. Yes, don't get it twisted. I take a lot of pride in it, just as all of those others who contributed to developing this land into the richest land that has ever existed, at least according to Bernie Sanders. Uh, Trump says, make it great again, so that must mean it was great at some point, at least in his eyes. But this is where we live. And as it's where we live, it always, and we should be able to talk about that, and everyone isn't always treated the best. And then they have grievances, they have issues, they have concerns that may be unique to them. And in it being unique to them, I was in a government class one time, and it says that the reason why we have parties is so that a specific group's interests are represented, and that's people who feel like they're more Democrat, liberal, and then there's the people who feel that they're more conservative, Republican, and then within both of those, there are, well, special interest groups, and those special interest groups can be any of the ones that I just named. It can be unionist. Religious people can have a political interest. Teachers may have a particular interest. The police may have a particular interest, and oh, yes, we know business, whether it's banks, investment houses, just somebody who owns a bunch of money like George Soros or our local Sheldon Adelson, they have special interests. As a matter of fact, in our form of government today with Citizens United, we even have deemed corporations as citizens. We are living in the world of super PACs that raise sometimes more money than the candidates actually raise. And some say some candidates are the walking dead as far as their candidacy concerned, but they're super packed. Keep them artificially alive. Something to think about. So, yes, we're going to talk about those presidential, Democratic presidential candidates who visited my city, and we're going to talk about some of the things that they talked about. But I would love to hear what do you think about them? Our voices live sent to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That's 3.30 for those East Coast listeners. Big shout-out to my East Coast listeners. You know who rocks the most? East Coast. Since I live on the West Coast, who rocks the most? West Coast. Who rocks the most? Maybe both. How about that? And that's about the extent of my rap game right there. I won't take it any further. So this is a very important year because we have a presidential election coming up. We have multiple members of the House of Representatives coming up for election. Uh, of course, we have members from the U.S. Senate, I believe, that are coming up for election. And then a host of, of others maybe in local government. Now, every election,
election is important because every election determines our destiny for the next two, four, six years because those people who we send there to represent us oftentimes may represent us as we want them to represent us, and then sometimes they represent us as they want to represent us. Ultimately, they are still representing us. The question is, when their term limit, when their term is up, do we limit them and vote them out, or do we approve of them so they can continue to stay in by voting them back in? Those those are the two choices that we have. Now, there is a third choice. There is a third choice, and that's not to vote. That is not to vote. Now, even though I just said it is a third choice, really, I don't believe it is a choice. A choice is something that you have, something that you do, something that you make. It is active. It's an action. So if you don't vote, did you do anything? Well, what you did not do is you did not share in the process. And the process is strong because of us being involved in the process. So some people say, well, I gave money. Well, that is a part of the process, no doubt. Some people may say I knocked on doors. That is also a part of the process. But the primary portion of the process is to vote. Now, you say, well, I don't like any of them, so I'm not voting for any of them. If that meant that none of them would be elected, just how would that work? 347-826-9600. 347-826-9600. I really would like to know how that would work because our government, whether it is local, your mayor, with your city council, your aldermen, your county commissioners, your state legislature, assembly, state senate, of course, your house of representatives, your senator, your governor, right? If you didn't vote and so no one got elected, who's picking up your trash? Because those bills have to be paid, right? Who's monitoring the water supply? Who's making sure the food gets inspected? Who's regulating what's happening in the sky? All of a sudden, ah, it's just letting it go, do what you do. And I, I want to spend a little bit of time on the voting part because it is, as a citizen, our main responsibility in government is to vote. So if you don't do your main responsibility, then why is it that there's so much angst and complaining when those who are elected don't do theirs. After all, aren't the elected officials supposed to be representative of the masses? Well, if the masses are apathetic, then wouldn't it be sort of a normal extension that those we elect or who happen to get in office, because you know you didn't vote, the few that do go out and vote because they're speaking up, those few, you know, America, here's a statistic for you, and I like to give statistics because it represents something. Otherwise, we're just bloviating, right? Less than 51% of Americans vote in any year, in almost any election. So where this is supposed to be a country where the majority rules, there's built-in checks and balances, but the majority is supposed to rule 
in effect, what we have is the minority rule because most of the time we don't get 50% of the vote. Well, now let's look at that. Who are those people? And this is a rough breakdown. Is you're going to have your people who are just dedicated to the process. Then it doesn't really make a difference what their ideology is because they're, they're from all over. These are a core group of people that are dedicated to the process. I don't know what the numbers are on that, so I'm not able to give you that statistic. But there is a group of people who are just dedicated to the process, and it doesn't make a difference who is running. They're going to vote because they want to speak up. They want to add their voice. They want to have their say. So they're going to vote. That's a small percentage because it's less than 50 already, right? So it is a minority group. That minority group is going to vote. Then you're going to have some people who are going to vote who are just staunch Democrats. They, that's that's what they are. They, you know, they say they're blue through and through. Their blood runs blue. And they're going to vote, and they're going to vote a straight ticket. And it's going to be a Democratic ticket. They don't even need to. They don't need to know the people. They don't need to see the name. All they need to see is the D. Now I'm talking about the D for Democrat. So let's not get it twisted out there. It's a plain show. They're, all they see, and that's how they vote. And then on the other side, you have those who see the R, and it's not for reverse, or is it for race? A buddy of mine said he had a car and he really didn't know how to drive yet, so he thought that the R was for race. So he was going fast and threw his car into R for race, not knowing that it was reversed and came to a sudden stop, a slight aside. But R is for Republican, and all they need to see is the R. They don't need to see the name next to it nor do they even need to know the candidate. All they need to know is an R, and they're going to vote. And those people who are staunch Republicans, they're going to vote. Another small group, right? Then you have the liberals, extremely liberal, because they're radical. They're on the fringes. They're energized. They're enthusiastic. And they're going to go out and cast their vote or the liberal person, no matter who he is, and it's usually Democrat. And then you have the same thing on the Republican side. You have those staunch conservatives, those neocons, and which are usually conservative Republicans, and they're going out to vote. Now, all of those are subsets. They are usually those on the fringes, one way or the other. They're not the ones in the middle where most of Americans are. But those are the ones who both parties, because we have a two-party system here in America. Yeah, we know there's something called independence, but when the last time an independent was voted in as president, as the young people would say, I'm just saying. So we know that the, the, the extremists, so to speak, those are the ones that are going to vote. And it doesn't make any difference. What else is going on? It really doesn't make any difference what plans are being espoused. Democrats, they're Republicans, they're conservatives, they're liberals. 
they're going to vote. They vote every year. Oh, here's another group that we know are going to vote. Seniors. Seniors are going to turn out every election. And those seniors are going to turn out, and they're all over the place. But they're still seniors, and they have interests that represent seniors. And there's nothing wrong there. They are a special interest group. Remember before I said that, you know, we have the parties, and within the parties we have interest groups, we have special interest groups, right? And I gave a list. They can be unionists. It can be, it can be teachers' unions, which are unionists. It could be uh, women for women's rights. It could be LGBT for for homosexual rights. It could be the radio broadcasters association because they see something happening. It can be the financial houses uh, because they want some regulation to help them make more money or steal more money. However you look at it, right? So there's special interests, and these special interests. They're going out there and they're voting every election. And they're somewhat stovepipe in the way that they vote. Many times they vote on single issues. It's very important. So, for example, something that's in the news, the president had his discussion this week on guns. You can call Anderson Cooper Cooper when he mentioned conspiracy theories to it. And we normally associate gun rights activists as the NRA. So it's not the only one, but that seems to be the big dog in the yard, so the NRA gets all the attention, right? That is a special interest. Now, you have a ACLU, special interest, human rights. It's primarily, primarily what they do. But they, they, they get into other things, but it's primarily human rights. Those are all special interests. Uh, we have the Jewish American Coalition. We have immigration. That's a special interest. And the people that are on the fringes, as I mentioned, regardless of which party, because, you know, there's pro-immigration or people who are for certain immigration rights, and then you have those on the other side. And that is they're going to vote for the person or usually the party that speaks for what interests them. Women, time when feminism was on the rise in America. Remember 60s, 70s, bras being tossed off, which I just want to say I didn't mind, but bras being tossed off, uh, women's freedom of body and showing more of it, again, I didn't mind. But those were things that happened. Those were special interests, and their focus is that. Their candidate, he may be against, he or she may be against this or that, or may be for this or that. Doesn't necessarily matter as long as they're for the that representing their special interest. What our political process and system of voting has evolved into with the electorate. People who, Sheldon Adelson, one of the richest men in the world, the richest man one of the richest men in Las Vegas, uh, in the country and the richest man in Las Vegas and Nevada. He has, he, he's of Jewish descent, and he has an interest in what goes on with Israel and how America deals with Israel and the impacts of Israel from the various policies of America. 
or if America doesn't have a policy and something else is going on, he wants America to have a policy, right? And he puts his money where his mouth is, and I'm not mad at him. He does that. And he gets the attention that he wants, that he needs for his issue. See, that's a single issue, Israel for him. Now let's move down to a group that I started out the show discussing, the African American. Maybe just like Jewish Americans, just like immigrants in America, unionists, they are a special interest. And they have issues that are unique to them. And as Americans using this process that everyone else uses, you would think that when African Americans speak about issues that are unique to them, that they would get the same type of deference and attention that others would get. And it would be the same as people just talking about things that are unique to them, their special interests. So I've given you kind of a general and broad view of who votes. I'm saying African-Americans last because African-Americans are in a unique category because even though African-Americans are about, uh, depending on what year and what what statistics you use, somewhere between 12 and 15% of the country's population. But when it comes time for election, typically, we have the highest voter turnout. Maybe sometimes like 90, they say 95%. Those votes usually go to Democrats. 95% of the votes that are cast usually go to Democrats. But we also, as a group, have the highest percentage of people going out to vote to go along with your wants your needs. In other words, I am casting my vote because either I've told this person or this party what it is that I want slash need, and this is the party slash person that is best suited to represent my want slash need. And somewhere along the term of the person that was voted in due to our vote, their patient or should be in expectation that there's going to be a result in the direction of those people who voted him or her into office. That's the system. That is the basic system. For When a candidate does not say something, that impacts whatever your interests or special interests are, then it is up to the citizen, special interest group, party represent, to make sure that the candidates are aware of that want slash need. The candidate should not have to divine what it is that those who elected him or her into office want or need, because they may not know. Let's face it. If we elect all of the presidents that are running or all of the candidates that are running for president for the Democrats, and that's what we're talking about because the Democrats were in town, for the first in the West Caucus Center, we have 
the leading contenders, Martin O'Malley, Hillary Clinton, Senator Bernie Sanders. Those are the three. Those are the three that attended. Those are the three that got here time. Maybe there are more, but those are the three that I'm aware of. Those are the three that are polling probably above one, at least 1%, right? Now, what's interesting about those three is all three of them have had an opportunity to talk at this first in the West talking, which I was fortunate enough to attend. Now, what was telling for me as a constituent, as an African-American, is none of them are from out West. None of them. For that matter, really none of them are from the South. Hillary Clinton was the senator, was a senator from New York. Bernie Sanders is is a senator from Vermont. Martin O'Malley was the mayor of Baltimore. None of those are considered really the South. They're definitely not considered the West. So basically what we have is a bunch of Northeasterners who are running for president, right, and the Demo- with the Democrats. How much can they really know about my issue here in Las Vegas, Nevada, Nevada, not Nevada? How much can they really know about that if we do not tell them? The same goes for my special interest as an African-American. How much can either of them know about my special interest if I do not bring them some type of awareness of my special interest? It may not be because they don't want to know. It might be just because that is not in their environment. It's not in their immediate surroundings. We know what we know typically about what's going on around us, at least hopefully. But we don't know I used to live in New York, so I do have a basic knowledge of things there, but I've been away from New York over 20 years, and it's changed a lot. So I would not be in a good place right now to cast a vote, as an example, for any office really in New York. Well, that that is me as part of the electorate. Now, how about the, the person who is running for office? Who would he know much about me in Las Vegas in Nevada if I don't tell him? If it is a white person, maybe his experience is with white people and he doesn't know much about black people. Maybe this person has been working in finance all their life. So they may not know that much about, you know, Main Street. They talk about Wall Street, and then there's Main Street, or if you've been living and working on Wall Street all your life, you may not know that much about Main Street, where the people are. So the people have an inherent responsibility, not only to vote, but also to let those who will represent them know what their issues, their concerns are, their wants and needs. We'll take a brief station break. I am Rodney Smith. You are listening to Our Own Voices Live with Angela Thomas and Rodney Smith. I'm sitting in the air chair today. Sister Angela 
out on the men. So we give our prayers and well wishes to her and hope that she'll be able to join us back next week on Saturday. Our voices live to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That would be 3.30 on the East Coast. Our topic for today is Dr. the 8th Annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil and the Democratic Presidential Candidates in Las Vegas. And right now we started out the latter first, the Presidential Democrats in Las Vegas. And the first half of the discussion really was trying to break down, trying to share with you what it is and what the responsibilities are. And what I said is those we elect, their responsibility is to represent us in the decision-making for our government and our governmental body, whether it's local or on the national level. And I said the responsibility of the citizen is to vote. That's the bare minimum is to vote. Now, to be an informed voter is really what we should be. And I said that our country is a two-party system, and the two parties have to be Republican and Democrat. And then within each of those parties, there are interest groups and there are special special interest groups, and they all want to be heard. And what I was sharing with you is that most of the time we don't get over 50% turnout for voting in America. So, in effect, we have the minority electing those who represent their views, not how the system is supposed to work. The system is supposed to work from the majority, and there are safeguards that protect minority needs but the system is run based off of majority rule. But it is working sort of opposite of that because the majority doesn't vote. Now, the majority or plurality of those who do vote become the majority, but that majority is even a smaller minority. The minority is, are the ones that vote. And it's a two-party system, and one candidate obviously is going to win. That means there's even a smaller number of people who selected that one candidate. What I'm suggesting, what I'm telling you, is that for our system to work better, and you know we all complain about it. I tell you what, somebody who has not heard complaints about our government, give me a call right now, 347-826-9600. Four seven eight two six nine six zero zero. Press option one to talk. Now I'm not expecting my switchboard to suddenly blow up because I, I, in my environment, maybe you know someone. I don't know any environment where somebody doesn't complain about politics. So we know that it's on our minds because it impacts us every day. Okay, you don't like taxes? Guess what? That's politics. You don't like like the rate hike by your local utility company? Guess what? That's local politics. You don't like what's going on with the airline? Oh, that's federal politics. Oh, that's right. Oh, you don't think that 
The wage is what it should be. You have concerns about immigration. You have health concerns, financial concerns, automobile concerns. Doesn't make a difference. Ultimately, it's politics. And through politics, is how those, you're a veteran or you're just a concerned citizen and you hear, you hear about the wait times at the VA. That's politics because Congress, not the president, Congress controls the VA. Congress has the power of the purse. And what the power of the purse means is that the president can make all the noise that he wants. If he wants to do something different outside of the funding that was set up already and mandated for a thing, if he wants to use that for another thing, he has to go to Congress for Congress to approve that. So those those of you who are Democrats and you elected a Democratic president, and of course there were Republican votes that went into that because the majority of people who voted voted for him. If you want things to change, you have to vote for someone else. Now, President Obama won't run again. He's he's, he's had it. He will have had his two terms. We will have a new president. First in the West caucus, which is here in Las Vegas, here in the state of Nevada. Now, yes, it's going to be a little biased for a minute because I did notice, because my interests, I have multiple interests. I have Second Amendment interests. I have veterans' interests. I have military interests. I have housing interests. I have a lot of interests. Health. I'm, you know, I have to use the healthcare system. I'm concerned about education. I'm concerned about jobs. It's a lot of interests, right? One of those interests is my people, African Americans. And yes, I'm going to talk about it. So at this first in the West caucus dinner, they Senator Clinton was the first speaker. Martin O'Malley was the second speaker. Bernie Sanders was the third speaker. Someone who was at the debate, can you tell me, or excuse me, not the debate, who was at the first in the West Caucus Center, can you tell me how many times Secretary Clinton mentioned African Americans or African American issues? Can, can you... Three four seven eight two six nine six zero zero. If you're in the chat room, just throw it up there. If you're on Facebook, throw it up there. Because I was there. Now maybe I got distracted, right? Because people were dressed pretty nice. A lot of picture taking videos. You know, a lot of big shots there. But I don't recall a time. Now why is that significant? I'm told it is reported through the news. That Hillary Clinton, the Clinton, as often referred, have the black vote locked up. Is she doing to have the black vote locked up? What is she going to do for us? Now, why is it important that she mention us? You know, there's a 
we just when Sandra Bland died mysteriously in police custody, there was a hashtag photo that said, "Say her name, say my name, Sandra Bland," because it assigned a certain level of personage to her. She was not just a number; she was she was a person, and this person lost their life. Well, for those who may wonder what's it, what's why the big deal, then this is why it's a big deal, because we are people too. Was that Harriet Tubman who said to Frederick Douglass, "Am I, am I not a woman, Frederick? Well, am I not a person? Am I not an American?" Call one time, but yet she has the black vote locked down. Okay, here's one. What have we told her that we want, that we need? Well, she surely didn't tell us anything that she was going to do for us. But again, I may have missed it. The next speaker was Martin O'Malley. Now, Martin O'Malley did mention us. He told the story of a black female student he met who had a question. So that was a mention. And and I appreciate the mention, even though that was all, it was more than nothing. Now, does it need to be more than that? Yes. Should we ensure that it's more than that? Yes. But maybe for them we're not important. Maybe for them we don't have to talk about black people. Hillary Clinton, I, I, I got this. I got them. I don't need to talk about them. I don't need to do nothing for them. They're going to vote for me. Now, there is a lot of truth to what she's saying. Think also telling about Senator Clinton when she spoke is after she spoke, some of the Democratic elected that were there left shortly after she spoke. They didn't stay to hear Martin O'Malley. And for the ones that may have stayed to hear Martin O'Malley, which I don't think there are any, but for those who may have been there, when it was time for Senator Bernie Sanders to speak, they were ghosts, gone. That's right, gone. Now, why is that significant? Okay, Senator Clinton had a rally here. At was in Henderson. And then in the audience, as the cameras pan, guess what you saw? Black elected. Senator Clinton comes in, black elected are there. Senator Sanders had a rally at Canyon Springs High School. I was fortunate enough to be asked to introduce him. Though I have not publicly endorsed him, I wanted to find out more about him. And this gave me an opportunity to be closer to him and to hear him speak. I've heard Senator Clinton speak uh, many times before. At this rally, and again, I may have missed him. So if you were there, you know you know one that was there. Let me know, 347-9600, 347-826-9600, and press option one to talk. Because at the Bernie Sanders rally, I did not see one. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if the state Democratic Party 
or the county party had any leadership there. Now, this is this is supposed to be the Democratic primary, right? And the Democratic Party is supposed to be supporting Democrats. But yet, the leadership and the black elected especially were not there for Bernie Sanders. And when Hillary Clinton got through talking at this first in the West Caucus, the few black elected suddenly went ghost. Suddenly went ghost. Does that mean, this is a question, you know, Minister X says, listen, does that mean that just what the news has reported, that Senator Clinton does have the black vote locked down, locked up? And the reason why I'm hesitant to use locked up is because I think about all the brothers and sisters that have been locked up in jail, the joint, the detention center, the pen, the hoofscow, due to a law that the Clintons signed during their first presidency. Now, I, I notice I think it plural. The reason why I did that, clear, that it was a co-presidency with he and his wife and that his wife would be an integral part of his administration. He her, even appointed her as sort of the health care czar at the time. It, it failed, but she pushed it, right? And I don't know how she can separate herself from that. So I got brothers and sisters, families torn apart. Why is that germane to this discussion? Because she did talk about immigration, immigration reform. She talked about undocumented and people who are in this country illegally, according to our law. She talked about them. Oftentimes she talks about how we shouldn't split up families. As a matter of fact, they ridiculed Donald Trump because he said he's going to just get rid of them. Right? They ridicule him for splitting up families. But yet, what did this Democrat participate in? The big dog, her husband, what did Bill do? And I met President Clinton. He's a very, you know, nice guy to talk to. You know, good drinking buddy if that's what you do. But when it comes to what he did to my people, put us in jail. As a matter of fact, I believe, somebody fact-checked me on this, but there was less than 600,000 people in jail when the Clintons took office. I want to say it was like 300,000, but... You know, sort of because I don't have the numbers right in front of me and my memory may be faulty. Those less than 600,000 people in jail today, mostly due to that bill that he they signed into law, there's about 2.2 to 2.4 million people incarcerated in the United States of America, more than in any other country on earth. Presented and misreported are African-American, over a million people. So that's somewhere of an increase of 400 to 700,000 additional people who were put into jail that were African-American. So there are African-Americans in jail of that three or 600,000. Some of those are African-Americans. 
But we know that today, according to the, the latest, some of the latest reports, report that there's 2.2 to 2.4 million for those African Americans. Around a million people, a little over a million people, black, African American in jail. I think at the height of the slave trade, maybe there were about 10 million slaves in this country. So incarcerated today is 10% the ones who are actually in jail, right? They gave a statistic that I believe is one in five African-American men don't, you know, just walk, just walk your street someplace. Count one, two, three, four, five. Boom. One, two, three, four, five. Boom. One, two, three, four, five. Boom. One, two, three, four, five. You go around. If you around ten, ten of your friends, two of them have probably been touched by the judicial system, been in jail. What does that mean? Family. That's what they talk about with immigration, right? If it is good enough for our Latino and Hispanic brothers and others, but primarily they're talking about Latino and Hispanic, and I'm not mad at them for doing it, then why isn't it good enough for black people to share this information? Why isn't it good enough for us? Well, I'm telling you, it is good enough, and I am sharing it with you today. They talk about they don't want to – how about they talk about the black families that have been busted up? And they say, well, those people did something illegal. Oh, so it's illegal when black people do it. But when other people do it, oh, it's just undocumented. Notice that simple play on words, the disenfranchisement of black people. I'm not taking it. No. We have to tell them. We have to stand up. We have to. Yes, she has us locked up in Nevada. She surely does, right in the joint. Okay. So then we get to Martin O'Malley. I don't know that much about the fellow. Again, from the East Coast. But he didn't mention us. We were worthy enough to be mentioned by him. How about that? I appreciate it. I like what he, he had to say on solar power. As far as he's concerned, America needs to get off of fossil fuels, and we need to be doing some solar power. He talked about the amount of jobs and layoffs here due to solar energy. He talked about the limitations that we have on solar energy use due to the demands of envy energy. Now, I'd like for NV Energy to advertise in my magazine. But the reality of it is, whether they advertise or not, they have done something to harm, to prevent citizens in Nevada, Clark County, Las Vegas, from exercising an option to have solar power. They did that. Here is a question, though. Why is Envy Energy, for those of you who don't vote, why is Envy Energy in control of solar power here? 
alternative energy. A politician made that happen. And we need to find who that politician is. We need to find who those politicians are. And then we need to broadcast it for all those who are willing to see and listen on what they thought was good for us. Because guess what? If you have solar panels on your house, there comes a point where you have recouped in savings on energy all the money that you spent. Now, it's estimated to be roughly 15 to 20 years. Technology is changing, things are changing. Here's one of the things that was interesting about what Martin O'Malley said about solar energy. Oh, and thank you, sis, for listening to us. I, I received your text. And I'm glad that I was able to share that information with you, which I think we need to we need to broadcast that all over Facebook, social media, and to all of our friends, especially when they say they're going to rush out to vote for Hillary and she's the best one for us. I wonder if any of them have anyone in jail or know anyone that's in jail. Just a thought. But anyway, back to Martin O'Malley. Martin O'Malley, just so you all know, Nevada is the sunniest state in the Union. It has more days of sunlight and it has more sunlight here. In any other state, I'm talking, you know, hey, AZ, Arizona, more than you two. That's right. Mexico, more than you two. The Sunshine State, California, more than you two. Nevada. Las Vegas is the sunniest city in the country, in the Union. And, that you know, you could sort of maybe surmise that that was how it was because we have the sunny estate, so there's probably going to be a city that's the sunny. It doesn't have to be that way, but in this case, we have the sunny estate and we have the sunny estate. We have all of these open spaces. We have all of this sun. Oh, by the way, we have all of this wind here in Nevada, alternative energy. We have thermal resources here in this state. We're one of the most active uh, earthquake state, tectonic plate movement states in the country. A lot of thermal energy. Alternative energy should thrive here, right? Solar energy you would think would be a no-brainer. NV Energy is in charge of that. And doing what a business would do to protect this business. So I'm not mad at MB Energy for what they did. They, that's good business for them. They have limited our options for solar, pan, solar power. And they've limited what can be done. So let's say you have solar panels on your house and no one's home. Everybody's at work. Those panels are still collecting that power, but that power being used. So that is excess power. Now, it came to you because the sun is there, right? The sun is there, it shines, the rays are coming down, it sends it to the photoelectric cells, and then they collect the power, and then they send it to your electrical system in your home to power your needs. So here's one of the things that I found out from one of the gatherers, and we did meet yesterday at the Westside Bistro inside of Nevada Partners. So, I'm, hey, 
Now, I don't know. I don't normally think I look good, but I think yesterday I probably looked as good as I looked. Plus, I was sporting my new beard and stuff. And some of the sisters that I was trying to impress just a little bit after getting, they didn't show up. So I wish they could have seen me. That's just an aside. But so we're at the gathering yesterday, and one of the folks at the gathering says, man, I'm so lucky. I got my solar panels up before these new rules kicked in. What are the new rules? Well, one of the rules is that when you get solar power for your home, the way that, so let's say you want to just cover your rooftop with solar panels. You could not necessarily do that. What you, in order for you to get solar panels, NV Energy had to approve the capacity of those solar panels not to exceed your previous year's energy usage. So in other words, let's say it was a man. Let's say it was an individual, working individual. Last year, they had the same house. They had a house, but it was only one person in it. It is logical to assume that one person will use less electricity than a bunch of people, right? But let's say that since last year, that person got married, had a child. So now there's obviously more than just one person in that house. Their energy needs, energy consumption is going to be greater. It's logical to, to that's a logical conclusion, right? But when they go to get those solar panels for their home, they had to base the capability, the capacity of those solar panels on their previous year's usage, which means that they would never have enough power from those solar panels to cover the cost of their living this year because there's more people potentially using more power than last year when that individual was single with no children. Let that set in for a minute. And our elected officials voted that to happen. And if they didn't vote for it to happen, I believe they did, but if they didn't vote for that to happen, then they are allowing it to happen. Why can't I in an effort to have clean energy, get off of fossil fuels, clean up our environment, limit the amount of sicknesses associated with health-related illnesses, emphysema, and some other things that deal with pollution, right? How, how about I want to help out and I want to go, I just want to go alternative energy. Cannot do it totally. I don't know this, but this is what I was told yesterday. If you did not get your solar panels installed by a certain date, then that excess power that was collected at your house from the sun that's just like there, that, you know, big point in the sky, you can get to it like a rebate. So in other words, NV Energy didn't send you cash. But because you had excess power, you got a credit than more than nothing. So let's say you only use, just for the basic terms here, let's say you used one watt 
but you receive 10 watts of power, then you can in turn sort of sell or exchange those 9 watts that you didn't use for a 9-watt credit or something close to it. So then in the evening, as an example, when there's no solar power and maybe you've used up whatever that was in your photoelectric cell, and now in the energy is supplying you your power for the night, then those nine watts that you didn't use earlier in the day, you could use now at no additional charge to you. Now, that's the way it was. Now, I'm told the way that it is with the latest changes or the way it's about to be is it those nine watts that went unused that you got a credit for it? Somebody please call in and fact check me on this. this I, I did hear this yesterday, that those nine watts, that you would have previously received the credit for, you will no longer receive the credit for that. Pregnant pause. I say we need to change that. First of all, there should be no limit to the amount. If I want to set up, put, unless it's a zoning law and then we need to revisit that, I should be able to put up or, you know, you have one of those uh, homeowner associations that limit you which then maybe you need to talk to your homeowners association or move. But if you want to put up enough solar panels to provide all of your power needs, you should be able to do that. And you should be able to have excess, extra. And if Envy Energy does not want to buy it from you, that's okay. Okay. Because it's their company. I get it. But I surely should have I should be allowed to store that extra power because it's mine. I got it. I spent money for those panels to get that energy coming from the sun. Do you guys follow me? Does that make sense to you, that this source of energy coming from the sun to something that I bought and paid for that I, that I can't keep? Remember, I bought, or in this case, somebody would buy and pay for solar panels to receive this, the sun's rays that are coming here freely to earth, just bombarding us, right? But I get it, but I have to send it some, to someone else with no cost to them. You're talking about a scam. Politics has allowed that to happen, and we should not, we, as the citizens, you would think, should not be happy with that should be finding out who. But anyway, Martin O'Malley mentioned that, and I was happy that he mentioned it because it is important. And there were a lot of jobs lost uh, because of it. Okay. So we talked about Hillary Clinton. We talked about Martin O'Malley. The third candidate was Bernie Sanders. And I saved him for last because he was the third candidate to speak. He was the last candidate to speak. And in speaking, he did talk about black people and black issues. Do I think it was enough? Of course not because I, I want mine to dominate like everybody else wants their special interest to dominate. But he did talk about us. And he did talk about us at Canyon Spring. And he did talk about us at his leadership forum yesterday. Or excuse me, Thursday. He did talk about us. He talk, not only did he talk about us, he's talked to us. Right? Now, like I said, I have not endorsed him yet. But I will admit, I like the fact that at this dinner, we were 
important enough to talk about, didn't talk about. And then those black elected officials who supposedly aren't supporting any candidates, so as private citizens they can, but, you know, publicly we're not, we're not supporting nobody. They left before Bernie Sanders had a chance to speak. Not even sure if they were there when Martin O'Malley spoke. So when they say that Hillary Clinton has Nevada locked up, they're probably right. She has us locked up in jail. Somehow she's figured out a way to lock up, lock down our black elected, our black elected officials. And I say black people, could be white people too, but specifically black people, you need to raise your voice. You need to speak up. And, yes, you need to vote. And you need to let those black elected, all of them, know that you do not want this election taken away from you. You want and that you want them to push and that they are going to end their public persona as an elected official, support, whether through active engagement or through inaction, a particular candidate in their public persona, then it needs to be the candidate that you support. Am I saying don't support Hillary Clinton? This is not the show for that. I will do a show for that, though. But this is not the show. What is and what isn't right now. But we're going to have a show. We're going to do a black agenda show, and we're going to talk about that. And in that, we're going to talk about voting and who best represents us. But I want you all to know about your black elected, what they're doing, where they stand. Yes, Hillary Clinton has Nevada locked up. If you don't know about Bernie Sanders, find out. If you don't know about Martin O'Malley, find out. If you don't know about Hillary Clinton, find out. If you don't vote, go register. If you know somebody that don't vote, if it's your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever that relationship is, let them know that it's important to you that they vote. Still their choice, but let them know it's important to you because it will impact you. It will impact our children. Now, I actually have some big news to announce about this recent visit of Democratic candidates. And this is news that's going to impact just about every black person, specifically black child and family of black children in this state. And depending on who gets elected or who takes this up, will basically touch almost every black child nationally. Yes, that that happened this week through an initiative from the Our Own Voice team. And we'll, we'll talk about that later. For those of you who are close to me, you can inbox me or text message me, and we can discuss it a little bit. But I don't really want to give it all away, and I want to save it. And what I'm saving it for is January 16th. And the reason why I'm saving it for January 16th is because that's when we have our eighth annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil. And that's the next topic that we're going to go into. And before we go there, let's do a quick station ID. This is 
Our Own Voices Live with Angela Thomas and Rodney Smith. Angela's out recovering, recuperating today. I'm in the air chair by myself. And Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That's 3.30 p.m. on the East Coast. And our topics cover a variety of issues that affect and impact us here in the Vegas and Nevada area, but also someplace near you. Our effort is to inform, to educate, especially when it deals with cultures and things that impact our culture as well as our history. Today's show, today's topic is the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil and the Democratic Presidential Candidates in Las Vegas. The first segment, we did the last first, which was Democratic Presidential Candidates in Las Vegas, and now we're moving on to our second topic, which is the 8th Annual. I didn't have enough room to put that in the title. The 8th Annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil, and we may do a show on this next Saturday on the 16th, and that is January 16th. And on January 16th, we it is the Saturday before the official Monday that recognizes the Dr. King holiday. We have decided some time back that we would do our candlelight vigil commensurate with that. And so whenever that Monday would be, the Saturday prior to it would be the candlelight vigil. That way we would know how to plan for it each year and other people can put it on their calendar and always have it. And I hope that you will come out. It is a event that gives us the the opportunity to reflect on the legacy of and life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He worked on during the civil rights struggle, and we're still struggling, by the way. The work, the effort, the speeches, the impact then and now what he means to us now and then, what maybe he should mean to us now and then. From there, how do we sort of carry on that legacy? In other words, how do we run with the baton now that it has been passed to us with his transition into being an ancestor? And speaking of transition to ancestors, you know, we lost Francis Crest Wesson this this uh, week, earlier on in the last week. And she was a giant when it came to talking about blackness and things that impacted us. And her research and studies that went back at least to the 50s and then brought it to the forefront. She's transitioned to be with the ancestors. She's with, she's with Dr. King now. Wonder what are they talking about? Well, we're going to talk at the candlelight vigil. We'll probably talk on the legacy of Francis, uh, Dr. Francis Chris Wesley, and we're, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that I can get. I have an individual that I would like to talk about her. I have a contact him yet, so I don't want to say his name uh, just yet. But I do want him to take take the microphone and speak on her. But Reverend, the event is about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and sometimes we use the event to talk about some topicals. So in Trayvon, uh, you know, when, when we had the George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin thing, we used it as 
to tie in the civil rights legacy of Dr. King with what happened with Trayvon Martin. Now, since Trayvon Martin, there have been tens, maybe hundreds of other unarmed black youth, men, black people, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, Walter Scott. I mean, the names, the names, the list of names go on and on and on that have suffered death at the hands of whether it's vigilante or police officer, some form of law enforcement. It's an epidemic. Actually, that big announcement is going to have something to do with that. And I think it goes to one of the cores, the roots of the problem. So we're going to spend time to tie that in. Uh, Dr. Gourier is going to be our special speaker at the event. We're also going to tie in a little tribute to Sam Smith, who this February will have one year with the ancestors. So we're going to talk a little bit about him too. So at the 8th Annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil, we're going to talk about the legacy of Dr. King, past and present, who are Where do we go from here? What do we do now? We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the legacy of, but we're also going to talk about Tamir Rice. We're going to weave that in. And, of course, Sam Smith. I hope that you all will come out. It is January 16th, 5.30 p.m., the candlelight vigil program starts, and it will last approximately 90 minutes, 5.30 p.m. until 7 p.m. I'm told command is going to send down a color guard to present the colors, and that will be nice. I appreciate the respect. We're looking still for a national anthem singer and a black anthem singer. Uh, If you are a pastor and you would like to give an invocation and a benediction, that would be awesome. That's what we're lacking. Big shout-out to Unity Vegas for their involvement. Uh, Unity Vegas is going to have kind of a pre-program. It's part of the program, but it's a pre-program, and it's going to focus a lot on youth, and they wanted an hour. So from 4.30 to 5.30, we're going to have the folks from Unity Vegas with a youth program, largely put together by youth. And I hope that you will come out for both portions of this event. This is we're, we're sort of stretching our wings here. We're, we're adding on. We're trying something a little different. And I hope that you will come out and support. And if you have young people in your life, if you are a young person, if you're a young person, contact more young people. Let's you know, come out. If you are maybe not as young and you have young people in your life, bring them out. So from 4.30 to 5.30, Unity Vegas will will have a program together for our youth, and then we'll have the general program that starts at 5.30 and lasts until 7 p.m. It is at the corner of Martin Luther King Boulevard and Cary Avenue, right where 
Las Vegas turns into Las Vegas. There's a gas station across the street from it. It's where the senior center is located. Also, there's the court is there, where the justice center. It's just down the street, a piece from the Dr. William U. Pearson Community Center. So it's right there, the corner, once again, of Martin Luther King Boulevard and Cary Avenue. 4.30 to 5.30 will be the youth portion of the program, and then the official program will start at 5.30. And we're, we're doing something a little different, and hope, hopefully they will both be a success, and then we can figure out we can improve on it for next year. But you have to start someplace. And Dr. King was about young people. A lot of people may not realize that, but what he wasn't doing this necessarily for him. As a matter of fact, in his speeches, he was, he was sort of like Moses. You know, Moses led his people to the promised land, but he did not enter into the promised land. Dr. King, for the things that we were fighting for at the time, that was our promised land. And he led us to it, and he got a chance to live in it for a little while before he was taken away from it by the assassin's bullet. Think about where you live. I had a gentleman yesterday at the gathering say that if you were between 50 and 90 years old, we had failed his generation. If you were between 50 and 90 years old, we had failed his generation. King lived. He would have been, he would be 88 years old. Do you all see Dr. King as a failure? Now, some may say, why is Rodney asking a rhetorical question? Actually, it's not a rhetorical question. I have heard in many circles, many people say that Dr. King and the civil rights movement of the day, integration, was the worst thing that happened to black people. That's right. And according to the gentleman yesterday, those people who were between 50 and 90 have failed his generation and failed black people. Do you see Dr. King as a failure? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the achievements that happened. Now, I don't know all of who's listening. I don't know where you live. I don't know where you went to school. I don't know what jobs you had nor do I know where you shop. But there is a good possibility, a high percentage, is that you are able to live where you live, especially those homeowners who don't live in the black community. Because remember, you couldn't live with white people before, right? I'm going to venture that many of you live where you live due to the success of Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement. I'm also going to venture to say that many of you went to a college 
that was not a black college or university. Many of you have gone to college at a non-black college. You didn't go to an HBCU. You were able to do that largely because of the civil rights movement. Now, all schools were not segregated, all colleges and universities. But a large percentage percentage of you are going to colleges or went to colleges that you could not have gone to had it not been for the civil rights movement and Dr. King and other leaders that are between that 50 and 90 years old, but other black leaders. I would venture to say that where you sit in public transportation, whether on a bus, train, or an airplane, when you get to select your seat, it does not have a barrier that says for black or white people only. That is That no longer exists. Now, some people say that's first class, <laughs> and I see their point. But the reality of it is if you can afford a first-class ticket, you can sit in first class. That was not the way it was when I was born in this country. You could not sit where you wanted to sit. You couldn't even travel where you wanted to travel. You could not even use the restroom at some places because some places only had restrooms for white only. And you couldn't go out and pee on the side of the building because that was against the law, indecency. That may seem like a little thing, but if you have to travel down 95 from up north, down south, any place, and had to go, have any of you had to go? And I, and I, yeah, I, yes, I'm going here to talk about, did any of you have to go? Because it seems something so benign nowadays, right, something so innocuous. But have any of you had to go? and had to skip a facility or a building because it says for whites only on Have any of you been refused medical care because it was for whites only or simply because the white doctors, nurses, attendants didn't want to treat you? You see, those are wins. I think of Dr. Charles Drew, the man who saved hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives, with blood transfusion. That that was a black man. Remember how he died? Somebody fact-checked me. Car accident and bled to death. Mainly because the white hospital that was nearest would not treat him. But yet, he millions of them. So when people, so I want, to, I, so this this is a celebration of Dr. King. Some people say Dr. King was weak. Dr. King talked about reparations. Who's talking about it now in the public spotlight? Dr. King talked about a check when rendered was given back within a stamp of insufficient funds. That means we're still old. I want my check. I want my check. 
So, no, I do not see people who 50, between the ages of 50 and 90, as failures. Did we achieve everything that we hoped to achieve? No. Did we achieve more than what we are, than what we had? Yes. Were those big achievements? Yes. Those battles we won. Now, we cannot claim total victory. We can claim victory for those things that we fought for and won, but it, we're still not free 100%, right? We still don't have the same rights there, but that's all. Remember I mentioned about a million black people in jail right now. I mentioned Tamir Rice. Roll up on him right in front of him. Jump out their vehicles and shoot them dead within two seconds. And said they were fearful of their life. And there is absolutely no penalty for them. No criminal penalty. No judicial penalty. A man running away with no weapon by a police officer wants to stop. A man is choked to death right on camera. New York City. Tamir Rice, though, you know, the president talked about gun violence and he talked about Sandy Hook and how he teared up. You know what? I get sad. He said he gets mad. I don't necessarily get mad. I get sad, though. And that's an emotion. Lines was mad. When I think about Tamir Rice, when I think about a lot of other ones, but Tamir Rice, you know, Trayvon Martin, there was no video, right? This time there was video. Even with video, this is how we're treated. Even with video. Many victories, as many battles have been hard fought and won. There's still many battles left to be fought. And we have to fight them if we ever want to win them. If we ever want to get past them, we have to fight them. You know, Trump is right. Sometimes you have to fight. Now, I'm not saying he's right about everything he's saying, but sometimes you have to fight. You have to stand up for what's right. Dr. King, you have to stand up for what's right. Stand up. So we're celebrating the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the eighth annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil. January 16th, first activities is the youth activities that start at 4.30 p.m. on January 16th at the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Statue and Civilian Area located on Martin Luther King Boulevard and Cary, right at that intersection, northeast corner. Cary and Martin Luther King Boulevard. I hope that you all will come out. Some of the things that we're going to talk about is the Dr. King legacy then and now. Dr. Al Gurrier is going to be our guest speaker, one of our guest speakers. We're also going to acknowledge the passing and transition to the ancestors of Francis Crest Westland. We're also going to acknowledge the transition and 
almost year anniversary of Sam Smith. And there will be mention of Tamir Rice in those situations. We are not police haters. Support the police and the need for the police. But we want to be treated as Americans should be treated. And African Americans are Americans. We should be mentioned. You should be involved in politics. It was a political process through activism, grassroots activism, that led to many of the victories that allow us to enjoy the fruits of their labors back then, today. The education, the jobs, the ability to walk into the front door of the restaurant, the ability to go to the restroom for your agenda, any restaurant, not just the ones that were not marked white only. That's big. I understand that a lot of young people didn't live through it. And when you don't live through a thing, you don't have direct contact to a thing, it, it sometimes loses significance and importance. So I get that. That's why there's a structure set up, and that structure involves elders, because they did taste it. They did touch it or were touched by it, and then they could pass it on. Open yourselves up to listening to those elders. Listen to your elders. Yes, old phrase, old saying. Listen to your elders. Those elders are going to transition to the ancestors. You honor the ancestors. My mother used to say, don't give me flowers when I'm dead. Give me my flowers now. Those people that the young man was talking about yesterday, many of them are still here today. But yet what we hear is what we didn't do. Let's talk about what we did do. Let's celebrate that. And then let's build upon it. Because whatever was done or wasn't done, there was something that was done, right? And then that took us up another level, another rung on the ladder. So that means we could step a little higher. We could see a little bit more. We could do more. So now the question shouldn't necessarily be looking back and saying what wasn't done. Really, the discussion should be where do we go from here? Any of you done anything anywhere near the value, the substance? that happened during Dr. King's time? Maybe you have. What are we doing right now? We just had a blackout, boycott, Black Friday. What, what? Matter of fact, we're going to do a show on that. We're going to do a show on that. Probably Black History Month, we're going to do a show on that. Because what did we get out of that? I'm not saying it was the wrong thing, it was a bad thing. But we're talking about the legacy of Dr. People denigrate that legacy to say that people between the ages of 50 and 90, 50 and 90 have failed. There's always going to be negatives. We have a choice. We can focus on the negatives or we can build on the positives. I say we're better off and it's more unified to focus on the positives. Dr. Omar Johnson was here, gave a rousing presentation. Hopefully we'll talk about him soon, too, because it had a full house. I believe both events had a, uh, I think, a parenting slash youth workshop. I heard it was really good. People have been spreading. They just didn't have enough room to get everything on the show, especially with it being me 
only today. We'll, we'll try to touch on that. We'll try to get some guests from that. Our show today was on the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil and the Democrats in Las Vegas. We started out with Democrats in Las Vegas, and we're winding up with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil for January 16th. Youth event starts at 4.30 p.m. The formal portion of the program will start at 5.30 p.m. and will last until 7 p.m. Tell a friend. Tell your family. Tell yourself. It's free. No charge. You'll hear, hopefully, you'll be informed and hopefully inspired. And it will give us time to reflect on the legacy of Dr. King, the dream. Is it still a dream or is it reality? If it is reality, what is the new dream? Because we should never be satisfied and stand still. What is the next thing? If it is still a dream, is it a dream or is it a nightmare? If it's a nightmare, what do we have to do to wake ourselves up from that nightmare? We'll discuss those things. Hopefully we'll be back here next week, probably for an abbreviated show. Talk a little bit more about the candlelight vigil. Talk about the Dr. Omar Johnson uh, visit. And we may even touch on the president's uh, son discussion. I really hope to get to that today. But that, that is important, too, and I may even have a big announcement about that as well. So you've been listening to Our Own Voices Live with Angela Thomas and Rodney Smith. I have brought to you today a discussion about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Candlelight Vigil and Democrats in Las Vegas with a focus on the first in the West caucus dinner that was held at the MGM uh, Hotel and Casino and also a private meeting with Senator Bernie Sanders. We kind of touched base on who was mentioned, who wasn't mentioned. I talk, went into a little bit on basic uh, politics and government and responsibility. Also talked on what our responsibility would be, how this does or does not impact African Americans. And then we ended with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King during the candlelight picture, which is this coming January 16th, Saturday, starting at 4. The youth program will start at 4.30, last until roughly 5.30, and then we will have the formal portion of the traditional program that will start at 5.30 and will end at 7.30 with the culmination of candlelighting. There's also a very, it is free. There's also a segment in there where we open it up to the public to give you one minute to share your thoughts. No place else does that, but we do it. We do it for you. I hope that you'll join us back here next Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast, next 3.30 p.m. on the East Coast for another episode, Our Own Voices Live. Be safe. Be cautious. Don't make any quick hand gestures so you can be back here next week. I appreciate you all. Thank you for listening. This is Rodney on behalf of Angela Thomas signing out from our own voices live. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.